0: some of you may be wondering when the series in hebrews is going to end you may be like me you don't want it to end today is lesson 47 and the lord willing we'll have 50 and so we are coming to the end of this study and uh, today we're looking at one verse Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. So please find that in your Bibles. We've all played the game, follow the leader. And in the game, follow the leader, there is an implied trust on the part of the leader that the leader will lead well, not lead you into a wall, let's say. And there's an implied trust on the part of those who follow, that they'll follow the one leading and not break rank. Now, Hebrews 13 17 applies these basics of trust in relation to leaders of local churches and those they lead. Now we've all heard stories of leaders and churches out of control. I was thinking this morning as I was eating breakfast and praying over this message that, that you can't preach this sermon if, if it's going on, if the bad stuff's going on in your church, because it will look like You're trying to correct everyone, and and that is necessary at times. But here, we've all heard stories of leaders in churches out of control, uh, egocentric pastors who mistreat the membership, and people in congregations that undermine leadership. Some leaders are self-centered, not genuinely concerned with the flock that they lead. They're concerned with their own welfare. And there are people in churches, both leaders and followers, who want to control everything. Who want to build their own kingdom rather than God's. And what we must trust God for is humble, godly leadership who lead well and humble, godly members who follow well. Thankfully, there are many local assemblies that experience harmony and goodwill And operate how God intends the church to operate. And Hebrews 13, 17 is a picture of what it looks like when things are healthy. What it looks like when things are going the way God intends. And I am thankful, very, very thankful to God for the spiritual health and unity and peace that exists here at Grace. I do not see any disturbance amongst the leaders and the congregation. The leadership seeks to shepherd the body in the right way, and the congregation seeks to support the leaders. And as a result, the grace and the favor of God rests upon this local assembly. It has gone on for years by the grace of God, and it will continue by the grace of God. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background uh, to the scripture that Mark read so well, verses 7 through 17 of Hebrews chapter 13. You could call this passage guidelines on church leadership and doctrine. The passage is bookended by references to the community's leaders in both verse 7 and verse 17. In verse 7, the readers are to uh, are exhorted to remember their former leaders to closely consider to scrutinize their way of life and then to imitate their faith the leaders are placed in a similar category as the heroic examples given in chapter 6 verses 12 through 15 and chapter 11 verses 1 through 40 and then we see a beautiful Uh, Proclamation of Christ's unchanging nature in verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. The preeminent leader of the church, the primary leader of the church, never changes. Always the same. The same Christ who was so real to their community in the beginning as they were ministered by by their former leaders presently sits in his exalted state and reigns perpetually. Verses 9 through 14 in this passage speaks of guarding against strange teachings to which some in the fellowship were being drawn into, drawn away to. The writer reasserts the superiority of Christ's sacrifice on the cross and the superiority of Christian teaching as seen in the application in verses 13 and 14. Go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. In holding to these truths, the readers would bring upon themselves disgrace. They would bring upon themselves reproach because of the name of Jesus from their unbelieving opponents of Christ. But they should hold unswervingly to their confession because Christ's sacrifice secured their ongoing citizenship in the city which is to come, heaven itself. And then in verses 15 and 16, we see that there are two sacrifices that every Christian is to continually give. One, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name, praise, and the other, practical ministry, doing good and sharing with others for Christ's sake. And now in verse 17, the writer returns to the subject of the church's leadership, this time focusing on current leaders, instructing those who follow leaders in a local church. Now, as your pastor, I hope and pray that you'll respond to this message appropriately. If you're doing what God calls you to do, keep doing it. If you have been tempted or have fallen prey to the error that verse 17 is designed to stop, then then turn from that. Stop doing that. And above all, that we would all recommit ourselves to both the leader of the church, Jesus Christ himself, and to this local fellowship to which we belong. So the question is, what does God require a church... In response to their leaders. What does every church owe its leaders? Verse 17 lays it out simply and clearly. First, what we see is the proper response to spiritual leaders. Secondly, we see the primary reason for that response. And third, the preferred result of our response. So the first, I want you to observe the proper response to spiritual leaders. What a church owes its leaders is obedience and submission. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Verse 17 is addressed to every believer. No one is exempt in the local church. Even though all believers are priests, having positional oneness in Christ, authority and equal access to God's presence, there is a functional order of leadership and authority that God has placed in the church. And those who belong to Christian congregations have the responsibility, yes, the privilege, to obey their leaders and submit to their authority. Now, the verb that is translated obey, it's pytho in Greek. It is used by biblical writers, that, and it has several facets. One, it could mean to conform one's actions. To conform your actions in a certain way, there's also the idea of being persuaded, being convinced, and putting your confidence in, in someone who is leading you and teaching you in the context here in hebrews 13 it speaks of receiving the teaching that is given by spiritual leaders now the idea of submitting to authority means that the that the readers the hearers have a readiness to comply it implies that there was a temptation that some in the church may have succumbed to Many times in scripture, something is there and you say, what is it there for? It is there because there was an error that people were susceptible to fall into. Obey your leaders and submit to them because they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account and let them do this with joy and not with grief. It implies that there were those in the fellowship that may have been causing grief. It implies that there were those in the fellowship that may have been tempted to cause grief. Every Christian owes this to their leadership, to obey and to submit. Now, who are these leaders specifically? They are pastors and elders, overseers, those that God has placed in authority over the church, in positions of responsibility. And the exhortation to obey and submit relates to leaders as teachers of God's word primarily. It was a focal point in the early Christian church of elders, Now the idea of being persuaded is linked to this, as they were teaching that you would be persuaded by what they were saying, that you would be convinced of it, and that you would follow that instruction, especially as it related to correct doctrine. In fact, go to Acts chapter 6 with me, just to see the the primary nature of the Word of God and teaching the Word of God. In the early church, in Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, there was a problem uh, amongst the the, uh, the congregation, that some were being overlooked as they served food daily. And the response by the leadership was this in verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Why? Because if you look up at verse 2, it says, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. We are going to devote ourselves to prayer and And to the ministry of the word. And any true leader ought to be focused primarily in prayer and the ministry of the word. A true spiritual leader will be focused in this regard. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12. This is the request. It says, We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction." And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And then also in 1 Timothy, in chapter 5, and verse 17. We read these words. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. See, by guiding the church in doctrinal purity... And biblical integrity the leadership of the church then watches over the lives of those entrusted to their care there is an expectation then of receptivity to leadership for those who belong to the church the idea is receive the truth and yield to our leaders that's the idea behind this verse now this this whole concept is not coming out of left field in the Bible, all submission, a citizens to rulers, children to parents, and the flock to its shepherds is to be done as unto the Lord, for God. Uh, it's a sacrificial act of worship. It's, a, uh, uh, and it's an act of trust and obedience to God. And submitting means that we are yielding to proper authority established by God. But every Christian life ought to be marked by Obedience and submission. First and foremost to God. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Jesus said. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. That's his invitation. To weary sinners. To rise up and go to him. To believe in him. Under the demands. The heavy demands of religion. Under working and toiling for years in a works righteousness, trying to earn their way to God, Jesus says, stepping right into the middle of it all, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. See, in order to receive what Jesus is offering, we must take his yoke upon us. A yoke was something used for getting two animals to go in the same direction and work together. You would put them on a pair of oxen so that they would be able to plow the fields. But they had to submit in order to have the yoke put on. Not be stiff-necked. See, we humble ourselves under the yoke of Jesus. We yield our life to Him. And we recognize in that act that He has the right to rule over us. We yield to Jesus, recognizing His authority To rule over us in our lives. If you haven't done that. You need to come to Christ. If you have never done that. You need to come to Jesus. To enter into a relationship with him. Under his authority. Obeying his word. Believing he died for your sins. And rose from the dead. Begin a lifelong relationship. Of submission and obedience. To the Lord Jesus Christ. No longer stubborn or arrogant or prideful, but gentle and humble as Jesus described himself. Saying no to yourself and yes to God. You need that if you've never gone there. Submission. Obedience. It characterizes the entire Christian life every step along the way from here to heaven and throughout eternity. And this idea of obedience and submission have, has implications for every person who goes by the name Christian. In fact, there are two applications I want to give for your consideration and hopefully your obedience and submission one with regard to trusting leaders, and the other with regard to identifying with the church. First of all, regarding trusting leaders. We're not talking here about blind obedience. Where a leader becomes the absolute authority in every aspect of another's life. You can, I can just name a name. Jim Jones, David Koresh, and others. You just name names and you know what I'm talking about. This is not that. That's unhealthy. This is about following God-ordained leaders who are following Jesus. We're not speaking of unquestioning submission to the will of another. It is okay to question. It is okay to ask questions of your leadership. Like the Bereans who tested what was taught to make sure that what was taught lined up with the Word of God. But if you find yourself questioning the views and the teachings and the position of your leadership on an ongoing basis, something is wrong. What's implied is trust your leaders to do what is right as they seek Jesus. Uh, With regard to uh, identifying with a local church, it is implied in verse 17 here, That every believer belongs to and is committed to a local church. Not merely attending. Not merely going there. But has placed themselves into the membership and under the authority of the leadership of those God has placed over that congregation. Obey your leaders. Obey your leaders. There is an implied association and identification specific now you may not be aware that we have a membership here at grace you can become a member by giving your testimony of faith in jesus christ by agreeing with our basic teachings and identifying yourself with this congregation some of you are a regular part of this fellowship but haven't joined for one reason or another to apply this i want to say this part of obeying and submitting to your leaders is to follow the structure and expectations that have been decided upon by the leadership in a local church. If you consider Grace your church home, you need to become a member. We have a membership. Uh, you can talk to any leader, anyone in leadership, about it. Uh, there are membership forms in the kiosk on the on the plaza. They're really simple. You write out your testimony and you uh, give us some information, but you decide to link up. With this congregation. That's right. That's biblical. So the proper response. Obedience. Submission. That, what then is the primary reason for that proper response? Why? Why do we owe it to our leaders? We see two reasons for this in, right here in the text. One. Because leaders are watchmen. Watchmen. They are watchmen. In verse 17, it says, They keep watch over your souls. They keep watch over, on behalf of, for the sake of, concerning your souls. Keeping watch signifies remaining awake, remaining alert. To be sleepless, literally. To be be sleepless, to be so watchful. Watchmen keep watch, that's their job. (laughs) Why well, they're called watchmen. Uh, in ancient Israel, watchtowers were placed, uh, erected in fields and in pastures and vineyards to enable the watchmen to keep a lookout for danger, for wild animals and for thieves and for other hazards. The security of the crops, of the animals, of the property depended upon the watchman being awake, being alert, being ready. So a watchman not doing his duty is dangerous. Not just derelict, but dangerous to those he's watching over. Thomas Aquinas used the shepherds in the nativity story as an example of an illustration of the kind of care leaders should exercise over the flock. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, we read very familiar words that the shepherds were Keeping watch over their flock by night. They were staying awake at night to feed and to care for the sheep. The shepherds would remain awake. They would remain alert. They did their job. This imagery is used in the New Testament for spiritual leaders. When Jesus. After he had risen from the dead, before he ascended to the Father, he restored Peter. You Remember this happened in John chapter 21. And when he restored Peter, he said, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, take care of my sheep. The Ephesians' elders were encouraged to, to keep watch over yourselves and all the flock over which, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Acts 20, 28. And each time it is used in the New Testament, it is emphasizing the shepherd's attitude and actions of love and care for those that they watch over. The leaders in the church are to be so concerned and wrapped up with watching over the souls under their care that they lose sleep even. That kind of care invites people's obedience it encourages obedience and submission. The verb keep watch, agrup um, in Greek, it always occurs with the action of prayer. Always. In Mark chapter 13 and verse 13, excuse me, verse 33 We read this, the words of Jesus, Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. Speaking of his own return. In Luke chapter 21, verse 36. Speaking of his return, Jesus says, Keep on the alert at all times, Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place, to stand before the Son of Man. And then Ephesians chapter chapter 6 and verse 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Be on the alert. Every time it's used, it's used in conjunction with prayer. The discipline, the action of prayer. See, true spiritual leaders go before the flock in the word of God and prayer. Like when they said, we will not neglect the word of God. We will devote ourselves to God's word and to prayer. Just as the big message of Hebrews is that we have an all-sufficient guide who forever stands as our leader, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he has appointed leaders in the church to guide us on his behalf. The authority comes from God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, we read this, He, God, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Christian leaders, particularly pastors and elders, are called to serve the church. And we are to receive them as authorities established by God. That's our calling. As they fulfill theirs. Why else do we owe obedience and submission? Also because as watchmen, leaders are accountable. Verse 17 at the end says, As those who will give an account. They watch over your souls as those who will answer for what they did. They will give a word. The Greek word is logos. They'll give a word. They'll give a statement. They'll give a report to God for how they led. It's not to be taken lightly. Uh, The flock is God's. We are Christ's sheep. And so the under shepherds, under the chief shepherd, will be called into account as to what they did with his sheep. Just as with shepherds, their task is a stewardship for which they will give an account. We serve with the knowledge that we will answer to God for how we dealt with the flock. The responsibility associated with such leadership is weighty. It means something. As James said, not many of you should presume to be teachers my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. James 3.1. I want to ask our elders and our pastors to stand for a moment. Not to recognize you, but to exhort you. I want you, the elders and pastors to please stand. I want to say something to you. And it's important, and I know you take it seriously. But you are shepherds to the flock. God has called you to a high calling. 1 Peter 5 and verse 1. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Eagerly nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. That is your calling, and it is a high calling. And I know it's one that you take seriously. I know it's one that you stay awake at night over caring for the flock. Verse 4 says, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. These are your leaders. These are your leaders, and it is your privilege and responsibility before God to obey and to submit to their leadership. Why? Because God has put them in a place of responsibility and accountability over you. They keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And this does not relieve your responsibility Your individual responsibility. It adds responsibility and accountability to them. The last thing we learn from this verse is that there is a preferred result to our response. What God wants to come out of it. The preferred result is joy, not grief. Joy. Verse 17, again, let them, allow them, enable them, set them up, give them an alley-oop. To do what? To do this with joy. The word comes from the Greek word for grace. Delight. Joy. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. The phrase not with grief or not a burden can be translated not groaning. It means to moan inside it means to sigh it's it's a word of 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 deep anguish of soul obedient children bring joy to their parents rebellious sons and daughters bring them heartache john said i have no greater joy than to hear of my children walking in the truth Third john in verse four there are other verses that are listed in your notes Philippians 1, 3 through 3-5 and 2, 17 and 18 and so on that highlights the truth that unity brings joy. Division brings grief. Rebellion brings grief. Working together brings joy. Obedience and submission brings joy. Doing the opposite brings grief. And all true leaders know the joy and the pain. Phillips Brooks, who was one time uh, the Episcopal Bishop in Boston, said this, To be a true minister to men is always to accept new happiness and new distress. The man who gives himself to other men can never be a holy, sad man. But no more can he be a man of unclouded gladness. To him shall come a before untasted joy, but in the same cup shall be mixed a sorrow that was beyond his power to feel before. So along with pain comes joy that's the byproduct of obedience. And then verse 17 ends with these words, for that, the idea of causing him grief rather than joy, that would be unprofitable for you. When members of a church don't submit to leadership, everybody loses. The members lose, the leaders lose. It creates an emotional burden that gives a life filled with groaning and sighs. Nobody wants that. It's the polar opposite of joy. Unprofitable. The Greek word has a unique meaning. It is made up of three words, three words, not, loose, and tax, very appropriate with tax day approaching. Here's the idea, three words combined together, not, loose, and tax. A rebel doesn't get away with his rebellion even though he doesn't pay what he owes to his human leader. He is not loosed from his spiritual tax towards God. God is going to require it of him either in this life or at the judgment seat which we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. In the church, Christian leaders are called to, to lead. All believers are called to obey and to submit to those in authority over them. It's the idea of cooperative conduct. Cooperative conduct is not only a joy to leaders. It is good for the whole body. Everybody wins. Members of congregations are to yield to their leaders so that their ministry to them and for God may be carried out with joy. And when churches give what they owe their leaders God is pleased. God is pleased. Let's pray. Lord God, we we come before you knowing and acknowledging that you are Lord. Knowing and acknowledging that you alone are worthy of our praise. And Lord, we just acknowledge that we need you to do what you have called us to do.